introducing you. For the longest time. Can you hear me okay, right? Yes, I can hear you. I can see you. You look great. And here we go. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. I'm meeting today's guest for the first time, and I can't wait because she's not only a doctor, but she's also going to cook a recipe called Kitchery that I know is delicious, and I can't wait to see her take on it. Her name is Dr. Siri Chan Khalsa. Please welcome her to the show. It's so nice to meet you. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a delight to be here. And I'm super excited to share some principles about Ayurvedic uh, cooking and eating with you today. I can't wait to to learn more about you. Where I know you're not practicing right now one-on-one. You're going to talk about what you're doing so yeah. people wanted to work with you. But where, where are you physically right now? I am physically in Phoenix. And today is the literally the first day we've been able to be outside without feeling like, oh, dear goodness, it's so hot. So um, we're just closing out our summer here in Phoenix, which is fantastic. I'm so excited about it. It means our growing season this is really almost our spring. We finished our winter, if you will, where we can't go outside for three months. And now our growing season, our outdoor season is just getting started. Well, I'm about four four hours from you. I'm in Indio. And today was the first day that I actually have long pants on, like that I can right? never remember. It's, it, I'm cold, actually. I got so I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy about it. Yeah. Angela, who's watching live, says, I love Kundalini yoga. So I can't wait. Whatever you like, you can tell your story first. You sure. can. Yeah. Let's uh, do this. Why don't, because the recipe will need a little time to cook. I thought maybe I could start with the recipe and then we'll sort, I'll sort of talk as I go. Um, first thing I wanted to do was to show your audience this really fun uh, treat that I made and to encourage your plant-based, uh, plant-powered folks to have fun with their kids this Halloween. I know we're all going through a pretty big adjustment with COVID and everybody is sort of their new normal. And so I had seen some fun diagrams of humans, or I'm going to call this a garden goddess, but things being made out of food to uh, just spur creativity. And so this lovely lady, a friend of mine dropped off a CSA basket, if you will, from her garden. And I was able to make this beautiful lady from her, um, which was really a lot of fun. And so I would just encourage everyone to go out, grab fresh veggies, give the kids something fun to do. You can talk about sources of calcium for their bones. We classically think about this um, season as being um, skeletons and ghosts and ghouls. And I think we need some, uh, some expansion in that concept right now. As I sort of alluded to, I, we hardly need any more extra conversation on the awareness of our own mortality at the moment, considering all things. So I thought this was a really fun activity. I just wanted to highlight that. And I'm going to use some of the creation, you know, as the Buddhists do, the mandala you bring it together, and then you take it apart, this whole notion of impermanence in life. So she's going to come apart and be part of our recipe for the kitchery. So um, let's get started with that. And I'm going to sort of do a little bit of an overhead view. And I know you're going to be provided with a recipe, which I'm really happy about. Um, It always makes it a little easier to recreate things. And I'm notorious for not measuring. And so uh, recently I've gotten much more focused on blogging and putting recipes that people can replicate, but kitchery is something that is an Ayurvedic staple. And Ayurveda is a healing system that originates in India. 
And originally, it was based on observation of the human condition over, some would assess thousands of years. So it's one of the more ancient healing systems on the planet. And through these years, um, it, it sort of evolved to understand patterns and ways in which we exist. And so what's exciting about Ayurveda is that it's got a timeless quality. And as a physician, it was always a little frustrating for me that this week or that week or two months or eight months later, we're rearranging everything we think and believe. And not that there's not value in innovation, but I've really loved leaning into some of the principles of Ayurveda for health and vitality. And classically, Ayurveda is a plant-based, uh, plant-focused diet rich in legumes, vegetables. Now, I know we want to sort of rework our diets to have low or no oil. And kitchari is something that's classically prepared with oil. It's called a tarka, which is when you saute the herbs or your spices in a little bit of oil. But I've come to really appreciate, and I use the slow cooker, but today we're going to do it over the stove, how easy it is to still get this wonderful grape flavor just by lightly toasting the spices first. And so you don't have to give up flavor when you give up oil, which is something that a lot of people have asked me about when it comes to kitchari. Now let's take a look here for a second. So kitchari is a combination of mung beans and basmati rice. And I'm not sure you're gonna be able to see that too good here. We're still working out all the camera views in my little home studio here. Basmati rice. Now, you, if you are not doing a lot of uh, grains, you can do quinoa, which is a seed. You can do amaranth or millet with the mung beans. And you certainly can do other types of legumes, but classically, kitchari is made with mung beans. And it's a yellow split. Uh, a doll basically means split bean. So it's a yellow doll. But the idea in Ayurveda is that the yellow mung is very easy to digest. And so that's one of the things we really like about it. So the way this recipe works is we're going to go ahead and um, we're going to toast the spices and then we're going to add that with some water and start cooking. And then I'll cut up the veggies and add the rice with the veggies in a little bit. So let's see here. Let's get started. I'm going to toast the spices here. So we've got um, one teaspoon of, I've got my measuring. Here we go. So we'll just show you. I've got one teaspoon of mustard seeds. And then we've got um, one, two teaspoons of cumin powder. And I have a combination of uh, cumin, and cor uh, yes, cumin and coriander, which I do in advance. So we'll just put those guys in there. And you can go lighter on the spices if that's what works for your palate. Um, in my kitchen, I love the extra spice. And so that's kind of how I do it. Turmeric, which we know is rich in curcumin, has these wonderful anti-inflammatory properties. And um, we're gonna put a little turmeric in, and then we're gonna do a teaspoon of fennel. And fennel is a wonderful, uh, helps with digestion. So again, and then a little pinch of asafoetida. And it's okay if you don't have the asafoetida. People often ask that. And I also like to point out that sometimes the asafoetida has a little bit of wheat in it. So you'll wanna be sure to lead, read the label if you're gluten-free. So here we go. We're just going to lightly toast this and it's gonna be so aromatic here in my kitchen shortly. I don't like to toast them particularly long, um, just enough to bring some of the flavor out. While I'm doing that, I'm just gonna put a, 
a cup of the mung dal into my big pot here. And um, oh. Dr. Kalsa, may I ask yeah. you a little bit about uh, us? I, I, I never can say the name of that. Spice. Yes, oh, Right. So I understand that there are people that uh, avoid onion and garlic for different reasons. And I just finished hosting a GI health summit. And some of the people that are on the low FODMAP diet, they initially can't have onion and garlic. So would they be able to have that spice? Because isn't don't we use that spice to sort of simulate the flavor of onion yes. and garlic? You know, I would have to double check. My understanding of asafoetida is that it's a resin from a root that is uh, made into a powder. So we'd have to double check with the experts. I do certainly know what a FODMAP diet is. And, you know, I'm not sure if it has those fermentable sugars in it like onion and garlic do. Um, and I wouldn't want to trigger anybody's, you know, symptoms if they're really feeling benefit with this uh, FODMAP diet. So it's okay to leave the asafoetida out for sure. Is hing the same thing? Yes, yes. Hing is asafoetida. So they are the same thing. And so I'm going to just do here is just rinse the mung beans. And um, some people soak them for a little bit. I, uh, I tend to be a busy person. And so I don't spend too much time. If I'm soaking legumes, I'll do it overnight for like my chickpeas or black beans or things like that. These cook very quickly. They're a small pulse, if you will. All right, so there's the mung beans. And I'm gonna put some water in here. We're gonna just finish toasting these spices. And then we'll cut the veggies. And so oftentimes I can usually put this meal together, especially if I'm not talking, in about ooh, 10 or 15 minutes. And it's really a staple in our home. We will definitely eat this. Um, gosh, at least once a week, sometimes more. And this is something that's often done for people that are doing um, seasonal shifts in their diet. It's very light, very easy to digest. And so in Ayurveda, it's often recommended at the change of season to give the body a little rest from a digestive standpoint. So I've got four cups of water in there. And um, let's see here. I think... I think I forgot to put the water amount on the recipe. Sorry about that. So I can I resend you the um, resend you the recipe. I can redo it. But usually I do between four and six cups of water. Just depends if I um, yeah, it just depends. Sometimes the vegetables have a lot of extra water in them. Sometimes I like it to be a little bit more soupy. Sometimes I like it to be a little bit more like a porridge. So it really just sort of depends. So here we've got these wonderful spices. Oh gosh, I wish you could smell this with me. Oh, it smells so good. Let's see here if you can get a good look at it. Um, these would be the wonderful spices that we've toasted up. And so I'm gonna just uh, let that go for one more minute or so. And I know probably some of your, uh, the, your fans and eaters are not doing salt and um, Boy, kitchery is hard without salt, but you can do it. You know, I think if you've gone the distance and you've taken salt out of your diet, then you're not going to notice whether this does not have salt or has salt. But if you're just getting started on a salt-free diet, boy, if you have kitchery without salt, it's, it's definitely missing something. I myself am not salt-free, but certainly 
gosh, kudos to people that make those bold decisions to be whole food, plant-based, oil-free, salt-free. My gosh. Um, well, you're I, obviously doing something spectacular because we have comments like the one from Angela that you're stunning and Diane that you have beautiful skin. And, and we even discussed before, you're not wearing any makeup. That's for no, sure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm almost 50. And so um, never had any work done. And so I just believe that the plants are... I always say plant vitality for human vitality. It's really about nurturing our body. And one of the things that I learned as a physician is that there are no guidelines from the FDA regarding phytonutrient consumption, zero. And in fact, the FDA recommendations for micronutrients are really driven by disease prevention. So scurvy, osteoporosis, osteomalacia, these things that are really severe we don't really have a culture that's coming from a place that's saying, what, does, what gives you optimal vitality? What lets you function at your best? And in Ayurveda, we also think about food transforming our consciousness, which is again, still even a little progressive for the, some of the whole food plant-based community, but I'll go there, what the heck? <laughs> you know? um, I really believe that a plant-based diet and one that's you know, whole foods-based really is the basis from which we can um, support each other with our highest version of ourselves. And we need more of that right now, if you <laughs> ask me humbly. So I'm gonna just scoot this pot over here so you can get a look at what's happening here on the stove. And we're just gonna bring the temperature up on this. Now you'll notice I'm using a huge pot. Classically, I do this in the Instapot, which makes it so easy. One of the things I just love about this recipe is the ease when you do it in the Instapot. Typically, I will throw the ingredients, all the ingredients in, um, add the rice and the veggies towards the end, um, and I'll cook it on the high function or whatever brand you have, but the high function of the slow cooker. I find the actual Instapot, the pressure cooker, is a little too um, compressive for the grains, and it results in this kind of um, block of... Uh, legumes and rice, it's actually not that much fun to eat. And so, um, so let's do that. And then um, I'm gonna, oh, I also wanted to point out one of the things that is very true about um, kitchery is that the, I think it must be one of the proteins in the legumes, it very easily boils up and over. Now, if you notice, we've got a lot of turmeric in here and unfortunately, turmeric stains your counter, your countertop, it stains everything. And so you definitely wanna be mindful when you're making kitchery. It's like a, it's like a mistake I've made many times. And so I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna make you guys go through that mistake of scrubbing down the countertop with special granite cleaner. And I hate the smell of all those things. And so um, any rate, so I now make it, if I'm doing it on the stove in a very high top like this, like a big uh, container, but on the slow cooker, it's, uh, I think I have an eight quart or six quart, seems to be okay. All right, so now what we're gonna do, I'm gonna just mention to you that um, the nice thing about this is that you can have any array of vegetables and it can be yellow squash, it can be zucchini, um, usually what I'll try to do is aim for about two cups. And so you're gonna see here, I'm just gonna pull in some of this yellow squash, this gorgeous yellow squash is coming from my friend's garden. I felt so lucky that she passed this on to me. And you can cut it into the shapes and textures of what you like, which is what makes it really fun. 
And um, it's really exciting for me to uh, be able to share this recipe because there's, uh, to me, it's just so easy. I oftentimes, I, if I'm doing some meal prep, I will use this um, time to create other vegetables. Like for example, with this, I might do some sheet pan cooking at the same time. Now this poor lady, she's gonna start saying goodbye to us. I'm going to, oh goodness, goodbye, honey. So we're gonna pull out this wonderful zucchini straight from the garden. This was picked yesterday, which is really fantastic. I know that's a luxury a lot of people don't have, but I'm such a huge proponent of what I like to call garden to table or edible lawns, where you get to uh, go out and pick what you're gonna eat. It's also a fantastic way to work with kids. So if you're on the West Coast or you have a year-round growing season, that might be something you want to think about doing this winter. I think we're all going to be a little uh, stir-crazy thinking about things that we would normally be doing for the holidays or with friends. So um, here we go. So we've got zucchini and squash. And um, I always like to say it's kind of two cups minimum. But I'm going to add a little extra here because I have this wonderful kale. So the vegetables can vary. If you're on a FODMAP diet, you can do the um, vegetables that are suited within the eating parameters. Or if you're on an elimination diet, generally above ground uh, vegetables do okay for most people. But again, you know your body best. Always like to make sure that that's um, abundantly clear. So I like to just sort of do a little julienne style with the kale. Again, everybody always says, well, this or that cooking technique. And I always say, you know, that you're in the kitchen is what's amazing. No judgment if it's not chopped or sliced perfectly or like you see on TV, um, that's just fine. Getting in there, getting excited, getting kids shopping with you, feeling like uh, one of the things I've heard a lot through this time is um, the main cook in the house feeling like a short order cook, meaning people's schedules, everyone's home, and so this is another nice recipe that suits that because you can have anyone's schedule, throw this in, and whenever someone's ready to eat, they can pop over to the Instapot and just grab a little bit and go for it. And so that's what's really fun about these recipes. So you can see here, I'm just filling up my generous two cups and uh, I've got squash and kale. And another thing I want to point out here, these guys, what I do with these, is I save them and I keep them in the fridge or the back of the, uh, in the freezer or the back of the fridge. And once a week, I throw them all in the Instapot slow cooker overnight with some spices, some shiitake and a little bit of um, seaweed. And it makes the most wonderful broth. So really easy, fun way to um, make your own vegan pho, which I did a recent um, live show about that. And because pho is probably uh, a lot of people enjoy those noodle dishes. And so making the broth for that is always a bit of an adventure because you're trying to have it flavored with things other than salt or MSG, which is how you might typically find it when you go out to eat. So we're just about done here. I'm going to scoot these things out of the way. So gosh, we're about 20 minutes in. I've sort of been talking and multitasking. But what we do usually is let this cook for a little bit. We're gonna try and bring it to a boil and um, gonna simmer it for about 30 minutes. And then that time I can tell you a little bit about myself and answer any questions that have come up. And I'm just gonna scoot these things kind of out of the way for the moment. 
But the, it's really just this straightforward. You uh, you start the water, you boil it for the the dal, the beans to start cooking, and sometimes I'll put the rice in at the same time just to be perfectly transparent. But sometimes when I do that, um, the rice gets a little bit more porridgey. So it's all about texture in terms of how you cook this. But I do tend to put the uh, rice in a little bit later once the legumes have had or the um, the mung dal has had a little bit of time to cook. Now, mung dal can be a little hard to find, unfortunately, which is a little bit of a travesty because it's a really easy to digest legume. And, um, but there are a couple of places you can find it. Um, one is, of course, your local Indian markets. They often have even organic mung now. A long for a long time, it was just mung from India. It was a little, you just wondered what the production techniques were. But now there's organic mung in the Indian markets because it's gained some traction here as a food that people like. Um, Amazon has it and Banyan Botanicals has it. So sometimes people wonder where to source really good organic spices. And so, um, again, I often recommend Banyan Botanicals as a no affiliate or anything like that. But that's my go to for getting good turmeric, fennel, coriander, cumin in bulk. Because if you start cooking more Ayurvedic recipes, there is every meal is just loaded with spices. And you find you, you know, that little two ounce jar that you paid four bucks for at Safeway is gone just like that. And if you're going oil free, salt free, it's sugar free, you know, the whole thing, you want to have, um, enjoy the flavor that can come from adding spices. And of course, there's lots of phytonutrient benefit, volatile plant oils. And even, I always like to say, Thyme has more iron by weight than red meat, something a lot of people don't know. And um, so these uh, spices all have minerals and in addition to the phytonutrients, which is pretty exciting if you ask me. So, you know, there are a few questions, but I'd really love to yeah. hear your story about, you know, going to a traditional medical school and yeah. being a medical so, doctor uh, to becoming, sure. you know, a plant-based advocate and enthusiast and your, your website is beautiful by the way the oh, thank place, you. The blog, it really really is lovely oh great well i'm you know one of the things that's been really interesting for me and i think you know i think anyone who's who's gone i've had an interesting life i will start there <laughs> i grew up in a suburb of washington dc and i had a very standard suburban american upbringing i played soccer i ate mcdonald's i had lipton's chicken noodle cup of soup, hamburger helper, I mean, you name it. But there was an interesting thing that was underneath that. And my mom was from Iowa. She grew up in Dubuque, Iowa. And in high school, they took the high school kids to a, um, and I don't want to trouble anyone, so little trigger warning here, but um, they took all the kids to the local meat house, meat factory. And where they did the production. And my mom pretty much from that point forward had a very difficult time eating meat. And I think Paul McCartney had, has a similar quote, you know, really just making the point of what's happening behind these closed doors. And so all growing up, she was vegetarian. And my dad, I always like to joke, was sort of a barbecue eating, um, you know, go America kind of, you know, loved his mac and cheese and his cheeses and all of that. And so I sort of had this um, polarity, even from when I was a young child of like, well, what is the best way to eat? And parents made different foods and ate different ways. So I'm really sympathetic to families where there's more than one po point of view about food and about eating. 
So when I got to college, I was pre-med. I'd gone to a STEM high school. It was really high stress. And so by the time I was in my third year or so of college, I had a little bit of, um, you could say, or not a little bit, I had a lot of burnout. And for me, burnout shows up in my digestive tract, believe it or not. You know, we all have our weak spot. It might be migraines. It might be neck pain. It could be, gosh, it could be anything. But for me, my digestion just bleh, goes to, just stops working. And it, of course, you're still extracting nutrients, but it just becomes a real, you know, uncomfortable journey. And so I had gone to the student health clinic and I said, well, you know, what's going on? I'm really confused. And they wanted to write me a very potent prescription. And I was like, mm. I was always a little bit of a maverick. And I said, no, no, I don't think so. That's not the answer. And I wandered my way into a metaphysical bookstore where I picked up my first Ayurvedic cookbook, probably within a week or two. And that's when I began to really start to think about the synergy of food as medicine. And in fact, believe it or not, I quit pre-med in such a fun way to be a chef for a hot minute and uh, moved to San Francisco, had big plans. And you never know, we all have our journey and it's a constant source of unfoldment as to where we need to serve and where we need to be. But ultimately found my way back to medicine and um, got a master's degree, thought maybe I might want to do research. Ultimately, 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 after much searching, found myself back in medicine. However, the whole way through the journey, I always wanted to have food as medicine be a pinnacle part of my practice and what I did. And um, it was really a, a very painful process for me to realize that that was never really going to be enthusiastically embraced in any practice I was part of. And um, uh, that was for 20 years, I stuck it out. You know, joke. I kept thinking this practice will be the one that will let me run cooking demos and get people in the kitchen. And um, the system as it stands now really benefits from disease-based billing. So nobody ever wanted to invest in the health of people. And um, I'm livid on the inside. I'm looking like a unicorn on the outside, but on the inside telling this story, I'm livid, I'm furious. And so I finally walked away from that. And um, when I did that, it was a pretty big deal. Um, I left behind a very well-established career. I'm board certified in internal medicine, hospice medicine and integrative medicine. So through the course of those 20 years, I did quite a bit of additional study in um, integrative healing. So I have a fellowship that I've completed with Dr. Andy Weil, where I'm also an instructor and in part of their culinary medicine curriculum. I've completed a um, six-month Reiki master training. I've done, I actually took three years off to study Ayurveda at the Ayurvedic Institute with Dr. Vasant Ladd in the US and in India. So I've had a very non-traditional career, but in 2018, I said, this is it. I no longer want to live in this model. I no longer want to be paid by the parameters of this model. And um, when I left that in 2018, unfortunately, oh, maybe two or three months after I left, my father passed away quite tragically in the ICU. He developed an infection in one of his heart valves. And so... Um, you know, sometimes we have a season in life where we dip 
where life gets heavy and hard. And that's what happened for me. So I did a lot of introspective work. I just left my job. I had had a lot of ideas and, and things I wanted to do, but then he became very ill. And so <clears throat> I just decided, okay, I'm going to really take some time out. And so we downsized so that we could afford to do that and um, lived on some savings. And I just began dreaming about what would it look like if I could actually help people the way I wanted to and serve up the information that has been percolating through my being through the course of my, what is now almost, you know, 30 year journey with uh, academics, plant-based medicine. And I also began to realize that I wasn't really that interested in arguing with people about some of the subtleties. I really was more interested in the how, how to streamline your kitchen, how to meal plan, how to, how to actually cook. Believe it or not, a lot of people are feeling uncomfortable with just basic cooking skills. Um, additionally, I wanted to bring elements of mindfulness and cultivating digestive capacity that I learned from Ayurveda, which we can do with um, certain combinations of foods, um, digestive teas, which I'm happy to share one here in a moment if, if anybody's interested. But that's kind of where the, you know, we're stirring the pot here, so to speak. And so, um, so I decided that, uh, let's see here, I was about five minutes from signing a lease when COVID arrived and the lease was going to be a cooking kitchen that was going to be group-based visits with mindfulness. Um, there was going to be obesity medicine specialist, and I was going to be cheerleading or heading, if you will, the creative direction behind how the classes and courses would be constructed. We'd have physical therapy and movement. And um, boy, COVID, I don't know about you guys, but COVID has really caused a hard pivot. Um, all the model of what we were thinking about doing was an in-person model. And um, for all practical purposes, we could be another year uh, before we really all feel comfortable being in close spaces again. So I decided, okay, I've always been flexible. I've always been able to pivot. So what am I going to do now? <laughs> so I said, let me take this show on the road. And so for the last six or eight months, and unfortunately, I was very, very sick in February, possibly with COVID. Uh, I will never know for sure because the testing wasn't available at the time and the antibodies in me are negative, but boy, I had double pneumonia. I was on all the potent Western medications. It took me nine weeks before I could walk more than 10 feet without feeling short of breath. And so, you know, it really it caused a pause for me. I was like, okay, wow, I really want to double down because none of us really know how long we're here for or what, what we're here to offer or any of those things. And so the first thing I did was I decided I would move to the online space and I offered a 12-week course for uh, integrative medical doctors specifically who wanted to study and learn Ayurveda so that more people in the medical community could be familiar with these wonderful concepts that are buried, these hidden treasures in Ayurveda. And I finished that about a week ago. And so now this is perfectly timed. Chef AJ reached out to me. So I'm grateful because it was months ago that we spoke. But um, I'm going to be doing a bunch of lives and interviews. And then in the early part of the next year, I'll be doing something for the general public that's going to be basically the, the how of the plant-based kitchen, not so much the why or the what, because I think ultimately 
uh, online education isn't the space to make a decision about your, your nutrients. It's something to be done in an intimate relationship with a clinician or a well-trained health coach, if it's appropriate, or a registered dietitian, or even a clinician, a naturopath, a chiropractor, an acupuncturist, whomever who's done the deep dive. I don't always know that the certificates gauge the quality and caliber of the person you're talking to, but really to me, those are the places to make those decisions. Should it be food map? What should I eliminate? But there's a lot of other pieces to creating the kitchen besides those small nuances. And so that's basically what I'm up to and what I'm working on. So hope that answers the question a little bit. I feel like I'm doing a little monologue here, but <laughs> no, 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 I, that's because you're so interesting to listen to. That's why I don't want to interrupt. So, but, but I mean, you're still glad you went to medical school, right? I mean, you learned something there, didn't you? Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's, there's a lot of value in Western medicine in the allopathic model. And some physicians have really found their, their niche there, their root there, but to, to trace back, you'll remember I quit pre-med to be a chef. And so for me, this idea of really being in the kitchen and there is culinary medicine, but um, it hasn't really embraced the Ayurvedic pieces yet because that's a pretty complex uh, overlap. And so I, I'm just sort of sitting on the periphery of everything, if you will. Um, but that's how it goes sometimes in life. You know, if, you, if you've done these other studies and I'd like to think that um, people say at least that I'm no slouch you know, that the, the Ayurveda isn't something I'm just whimsically saying works. It's something I've really done my due diligence with and study and, and brought my considerable training, master's degrees, board certifications, medical school. I, my residency was at Mayo Clinic in internal medicine. So I really had, I've had a tremendous benefit, but I also know the nuances of the system that aren't serving people anymore. And so this is really exciting for me to transition. And I always say, you know, sometimes first responders, military retire at 20 years. That's what I did. I hung in there. I helped a lot of people. My patients miss me dearly, but um, it was time for a new chapter and one where I could fully integrate all my interests. That's fantastic. I, I really love that you're, that you're a Reiki master because Reiki is something that I think a lot of people don't know about, but it's so powerful. And I'm the biggest fan of Reiki. Are you really? Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I'm definitely, there's no box that easily fits around me because energy medicine is something that's very difficult for the allopathic community to conceptualize. But the way that I see it is that there are subtle mechanisms that regulate our nervous system. And when someone can bring a healing presence and perhaps more, I obviously believe more, but let's just say fundamentally a healing presence, we know that that autonomic nervous system can go from fight, flight, freeze, the trauma response to rest and digest, relax. And um, you know, this is something that's so critical that's often overlooked in nutrition and um, eating. And that is you know, when our bodies are in this mode of, action, we're not as ready to receive the nutrients that we need to nourish our body, to nourish ourselves. And um, it's subtle, of course. You're obviously, if you're in that fight-flight mode, you're still digesting food, but it's probably not optimized. And so, again, my theories have always been around not so much the anti-this or that diet, really about what promotes vitality. 
And a lot of the languaging in modern nutritional science doesn't always speak to that. It speaks to disease prevention. And so uh, obviously there are many people that speak to that, but in my community, in the world I'm from, in, in the allopathic world, we don't, we certainly don't use language like that around nutrition, <laughs> I can assure you. Um, you know, and unfortunately there's often sort of very rudimentary arguments about weight loss and this or that. You know, I, I just think there's a much bigger picture, a much more interesting story that we wanna be looking at as Western allopathic clinicians. And it's changing, it's absolutely changing. So for the last 15 years or so, I've been a guest instructor at the Integrative Medicine Fellowship in Tucson. And I've always been taking food samples and doing, if you will, sort of an introduction to culinary medicine lecture. And when I first started, you know, it was a little bit of, wow, the physicians there, a lot of them had not heard of many of these things. It was never part of their curriculum. It was never part of their education. And that was just as the iPhone was arriving. So now you got to remember, this is 2008, 2007, that these little devices started showing up, which meant an absolute revolution in the way information is delivered to us. And now most physicians are on social media. You'd have to be making a very concrete decision to not be interacting with social media, to not have some education from a nutritional standpoint. The unfortunate part about it is that not everyone knows what they're talking about. And there was a lot of misinformation, a lot of confusing information. And um, so that's a, a disadvantage. I do want to take a quick second here to just show you. Um, let's see. Whoops. Sorry, wrong direction. Oh, we've got overheated over the stove. <laughs> so the camera needs a little break. Um, but let's just take it out of the way here. I will do that. Um, so basically this uh, kitchery is just about, the doll is just about cooked. So I'm going to add the veggies and we'll probably have that camera again before we finish. I'm gonna add a little bit more water. I'm gonna turn the heat down and add the rice. And uh, I'm gonna put a lid on it. That helps keep some of the steam in. And uh, here we go. So we're just gonna stir this guy up. That is coming along so nicely. I imagine you're dairy-free, correct? Yes. Well, I do have some ghee in my diet, so I like to be very transparent about that to people. And the reason for that is that a lot of Ayurvedic medicines are made uh, through a fat extraction in ghee. Now we're working towards other types of extraction methods like coconut oil. And obviously for your group, uh, medicines and ghee sounds like the worst thing ever, but these are the traditions that have sat in Ayurveda for thousands of years and they're, they're not so easy to change overnight. And um, I'm not totally clear that they need to, uh, forgive me, but you know, I'm, I'm just not totally clear yet. Um, I know we have sets of data that strongly suggest to us that being completely free of animal products is better for the planet. It's better for humanity, better for climate change. So I sit in a bit of paradox in that. So I do like to be completely transparent <laughs> for that. But otherwise I make a lot of vegan cheeses and, you know, reworking a lot of the other pieces of dairy, plant-based yogurts and, um, 
you know, tofu substitutes and just egg, you know, there's lots of ways you could be really creative without needing dairy. And we don't technically need the dairy at all uh, to, to enjoy food, to enjoy our lives or to be healthy for that matter. As um, one of the things that I posted with this lovely lady was a, um, a list of calcium sources that for people that are curious, like, well, you know, when I give up dairy, this group would know all about that. But if I give up dairy, am I going to have bone density issues or calcium issues? And really, frankly, the answer is no, but you do need to be mindful of optimizing your vegetable and grain uh, content intake. You can't just kind of go um, processed vegan and expect your calcium levels or your intake of calcium to be sufficient unless that you're drinking a lot of fortified nut milks and things like that. So, so that's kind of my take on that. And uh, it's not an easy one, believe me. And it's something I've been sort of wrestling with for years. So, okay, so I've got the lid on that and um, it should be done now in about 10 or 15 minutes. It's maybe a little longer. I could have maybe put it in a little sooner, but I've been over here uh, chit-chatting. <laughs> so, nice. Can you freeze it, someone's asking, or does that destroy the property? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So lots of different ideas about this. Um, I'm extremely pragmatic, okay? Um, if your choice is eating a processed meal or another like frozen Amy's or something like that, versus frozen kitchery, by all means, frozen kitchery. If you're somebody that actually has just organized the kitchen in a way that you can cook every day, that's ideal. But I understand that's not true for everybody. And sometimes it makes sense to freeze things, um, to batch prep them, to have different ways of storing them. I find after about mm, two days, It'll last a week. I've, eat, I've had it in the fridge a week. It doesn't really mold up or go off too much. But um, if it's in the fridge more than two days, you may want to fro throw it in the freezer. You also may want to just share it with friends. It's a really inexpensive dish to make. You know, this whole dish may be less than $4. And so um, in some ways, I just my preference has generally been to consume it within about 24 to 36 hours after it's been um, after it's been, uh, what's the word I'm looking for after you've made it, but it, it's certainly okay to freeze it. And I freeze things. I have things in my freezer. Absolutely not kitchery. I'll be honest, but I do have other things. And, um, what's nice about this is that there's other ways you can use this. So you can put it inside a burrito. You can, you know, make some frozen burritos with this and add some, um, steamed greens, you know, like you can add sauerkraut to this make of this burritos. There's lots of ways you can sort of reuse what you've got here into new flavors. Cause I find sometimes it is not the most exciting meal. <laughs> I'll be perfectly honest. Remember that scene in the matrix where they're eating it and they're like, Oh my gosh. So this definitely can have a moment where you're like, is this, I don't know. It's not that exciting. It's not sexy, like vegan quiche or anything like that. But, um, you know, so in many ways, it does its best action when it's fresh. It's gen generally been my experience, but everybody's a little different in terms of their palate, their budget, their kitchen time, their, you know, all those pieces. So 
great. Uh, a, couple, a couple of people are asking if you could use miso in kitchery. Absolutely. So miso has, if for those that don't know, miso is a fermented, here I can grab some for, for people that are curious. Um, miso is a fermented bean product. You can make it with chickpeas or soy. And um, this, is, this is what miso looks like. And typically miso has um, potential for live active cultures in it. And so oftentimes if I'm gonna make um, extra flavoring, so my husband and I, we have what we call the kitchery bar. And so it, it's basically like the salad bar. So we have a series of things that we mix into the kitchery when it's done. So um, toasted coconut flakes, uh, nutritional yeast for those that are comfortable eating it. Um, uh, sometimes we do lime, uh, grated ginger, miso is another one. And again, there's lots of different flavor profiles. Miso has this sort of um, sweeter umami kind of. So sometimes if I'm gonna do miso flavoring, I will put in a little coconut milk into this and make it almost more like a soup. You can do light coconut milk or coconut flakes that you puree and, and use a sieve to get the coconut milk out of. And that with the miso gives a really wonderful sort of sweeter. And in that case, I may add like curry leaves or um, galangal, which is a Thai ginger or lemongrass to kind of give it a slightly different flavor profile, but it's still really the same dish, if you will. Um, so again, I find the miso takes it into sort of a sweeter direction, but it's certainly reasonable to add miso, of course. You can, nice. lots of flexibility to, in this dish. Do you have a favorite recipe that you make over and over? know why I have a spot on my head. Yeah, but you know, I would say that, that in all honesty, it's faux and kitchery. Like I do the kitchen scraps for the faux broth. And then I throw a bunch of, I do a buckwheat soba. You know, you can get 100% buckwheat noodles. So it's a gluten-free, but doesn't have to be for me. We do eat gluten in our house. And then I use my steamer insert. Probably one of my most favorite kitchen accoutrements is a double uh, insert for, I have small clad cookware and I've got a steamer inserts in the dishwasher right now where I'd show you, but I make the broth overnight and then I add the miso and the web, re recipe for this is on my uh, website. I just posted it because people were like, oh my gosh, this pho is so good. So, um, and the secret ingredient to pho, which a lot of people may not know in the broth is, um, is to uh, uh, char onion and ginger on the broiler for three to five minutes. And I'm sure you would know that, but you know, it makes the most amazing flavor profile. Of course you can leave the onion out if you're on a FODMAP diet, but that is so delicious. It adds this wonderful flavor profile and then star anise, cumin, coriander, fennel, cinnamon. And then I add the shiitake and the um, seaweed, let that go overnight, add the steamed veggies. And then the secret, the secret thing to pho, which someone taught me in the last year or two, is rinsing the noodles. So again, I used to do pho and it'd be this congealed noodle blob. And I'd be like, How, what is the secret here? But you rinse the noodles and there's a whole art and science to noodle rinsing, which I knew nothing of, was like this massive light bulb went out for me. I was like, oh, you rinse the noodles. That's awesome. So um, anyway, so that was really exciting. Sounds great. Uh, what did your colleagues think of your departure from traditional medicine? You know, interestingly enough, um, I always like to say the, the writing was on the wall. <laughs> so, um, 
nobody was that surprised. Uh, you know, they all are delighted and they hope to work with me in whatever the new capacity of things as they're evolving is. But, um, you know, they, some of them frankly want to do the same. There's such a, such a terribly sad statistic in medicine right now that about uh, somewhere between um, 50 to 70% of primary care providers are significantly burnt out. There's two times the suicide rate for the general population and even more than that in female primary care providers. So many of them are like, hey, can we invent a new model that's more instructional based and scaling the message that we're often having to retell again and again in the office and to focus so much more on prevention. There's a beautiful sutra in Ayurveda, which says that this is the fundamental values in Ayurveda, meaning like the pillars on which it sits on. And it says the purpose of Ayurveda is to protect the health of the healthy and to restore the health of those who are, who are not well back to health. And unfortunately, the, we do have preventive medicine in allopathy, but it's still early detection. It's not true prevention. So you go in for your colonoscopy, your PSA, your mammograms, which are all super value. Please do not stop doing those. Um, but that's early detection. That's not actually prevention. And we know from Dr. Ornish's data that um, certain mechanisms can be dialed back once they're present, but that's not what we want. We actually want information available to us, tailored to us, me included. I want, I want this doctor um, who tells me how I'm going to stay healthy, how I'm going to prevent disease. And so um, my colleagues are really excited for whatever it is I'm doing next because they feel like I'm someone they Oh, I can't. Charles, I can't hear the doctor now. Shoot. Charles, I cannot hear the doctor now. You're and sure. I unplugged. Am I still plugged in here? Hey, you're unplugged. You can't I, hear I, anything. Dr. Kalsa. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Thank you. Yeah, sorry about that. I think the battery on my little mic died. So uh, okay. yeah, then it wasn't me. I was I was unplugging everything here. So <laughs> thank you for figuring that out. <laughs> it's a little more echo now, but um, yes. So I guess you know the bottom line is whatever I just said, and <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know where I left off. But you know I get excited about this. Bottom line is that I think we're we're at a juxtaposition where we as individuals can start making these strong requests of our healthcare system. Hey, listen, I want to know what's going to keep me healthy, not just what to do once I'm not healthy. And so my colleagues were really, they're really looking forward to me helping to provide them with information about that. Yeah, we, we need more doctors to think like you. You know, there's a couple of medical schools now that actually provide an education in culinary medicine. They're going to be on the show either, I think it's next month that I have some of them, but you know, it's, it's going to take a lot more doctors to, to think the way you think. Yeah, and I, I think along the way, you know, my love of eating and my love of food <laughs> is what, and this wonky digestive tract made me just a little bit more forward thinking. You know, if I'd had a sort of easy journey where everything made sense and my health was perfect, I don't know that I would have had this strong a desire to explore and learn more. 
but my, I have a funny body that goes through a lot and it keeps me, my nose to what's interesting and new and novel and how can we stay healthy? How can we support ourselves and our health through my journey first? And so of course an N of one isn't the most valid conversation, but when you're looking at a research model that really is precision medicine, meaning each individual epigenetic process, each individual microbiome, each individual detoxification journey, each individual genome, we will need to tailor food perhaps a little bit more consciously, but I don't know we'll quite get there in my lifetime. But when I think about the amount of innovation that's happened in 15 years with the smartphones and the internet, you just never know. I, I don't stay hopeful for that, but I, I know that it's needed. I know that at some point in time, the science of ancient you know, practices like Ayurveda will bridge into the modern world. And though they may not overlap perfectly, we will have more robust understanding of how to inform ourselves with research and forward thinking from these ancient models. That would be amazing. And Alyssa said it was an excellent point you made about prevention and detection. They're two different things. They really are. And so this is, you know, this is this, it's just a little bit of a dilemma. You know, this is how the medical system has been constructed because no one's keeping tack, track of prevention because in of itself, it's been prevented. So there's some irony in the midst of all this. And prevention, the onus of prevention largely falls on the individual. In all my years in medicine, I never really had bandwidth in the visits to truly talk about health promoting activities like the six pillars in lifestyle medicine or the nine pillars of the blue zones where you start looking at things even beyond food as having a really important role. So when can people look forward to your class? You said January of next year? Yeah, January of next year. And there's a, if they're interested, there's a little link to the program on my website and I'll be sure to send them something once it becomes available. And um, why don't we take a look at what's happening to this kitchery? I think it's about done. So we got the big reveal. The big reveal, yes, this is looking delicious. So let me get a bowl here. So then, as I mentioned, we might put lime juice on this, we might put um, coconut flakes, we might put um, nutritional yeast, um, I sometimes put a little bit of black salt, which has a sulfur kind of quality. Um, again, this is, this is really a staple food in our home. I'll sometimes put some sauerkraut on it. Um, if I put any other veggies on it, I do try to make sure they're steamed or lightly cooked, just owing to helping the body to digest them. So I think you can see that. Let me walk this up to the camera a little bit. Let's see if it'll focus on it for you. No, <laughs> it looks pretty good to me. Yeah, it looks pretty good. I don't want it to slide out here, but the overhead camera got a little overheated being over the stove. So as I said, I'm still working out all the nuances of the studio, the home cooking studio, but you know, little by little, I'm getting there. Uh, so Diane's saying any classes in Tucson, but if I heard you correctly, all your classes will be online going forward. Yes, I wanted them to be in person. In fact, my favorite thing is to really be with people and to experience the connection that comes from groups being together, learning together. Um, that comes from, I'm a Kundalini Yoga instructor, so that comes from years of teaching yoga and understanding that the dynamics that come from people being in the same space together, but there's no clear sense that I have when 
um, when I could safely do that. You know, I'd hate to be the person that's organizing events where, and I know everyone has different mindsets about everything that's happening, but in the allopathic community, we feel pretty strongly that wearing masks and keeping separated for as sad as it is, does provide value for prevention of the spread of it. But I know there's dissenting opinions about that. We can all agree to disagree at the end of the day. <laughs> but um, so nothing is gonna be in person probably until we're really clear that there's a safe mechanism to do that, which I'm really disappointed about. And I know we all are carrying little bits of disappointment about and grief about things we had been hoping for, whether it's travel or family or work restaurants, places, you know, there's so many things we're all shifting in our expectations about right now. All right. Well, but thank goodness for the online world. Yeah, right I agree. And I think a lot of us sane and, and connected. And exactly. that was how the show came. Well, it, you, you're just lovely. It's great meeting you. I love your passion. And you just, you really do make a lot of sense. Oh, it's so great. I super appreciate the invitation. And, um, Super grateful to all the, your wonderful fans who've tuned in today with their thoughtful questions. Yeah, and we'll put everything in the show notes, how to get in touch with you, how to follow you on all the different platforms, and of course, the recipe, which, which was beautiful. Thank you so much, Dr. Kalsa. I'm delighted to meet you. Yes, thank you so much. You're so welcome. And thank all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please do come back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Pacific time. We have another great recipe from a chef from the South, Bianca Phillips, and she is going to be making a Chipotle chickpea chili. And don't forget, Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time is my 200th episode of Weight Loss Wednesday, and we are giving away a ton of prizes from Instant Pot Air Fryers to Holland Ball Mills you've got to definitely join in and please be sure to be on my mailing list so that you won't miss the contest. Thanks again, Dr. Kalsa, be well.